9 out of 10 startups fail. Women and minority-led companies receive less than 10% of all venture capital. This is an environment designed for failure. Startup Hype Man's mission is to use the power of story to make success inevitable, not the exception. And this podcast is designed for entrepreneurs to share lessons learned from their stories so that you can figure out what whatever it takes means for your company to make it. Let's kick it. Yeah, I have everything on Do Not Disturb, so I think we're good. From the Hype HQ Recording Studio in Chicago, Illinois, it's Startup Hype Man, the podcast. I am your host and the Startup Hype Man, Raj Nation. Every week we bring you real talk and unpack the the behind-the-curtain strategies with the entrepreneurs who are doing it or who have been there, done that, all to help your startup grow up and stand out. Join the Hype Nation to catch every new episode, plus get resources and other stuff that actually help you, not the whack promotional junk that other companies try to shove down your throat. All you have to do is add your email at startuphypeman.com. Ready for some real talk? Time now for me, Raj Nation, to turn it over to, well, me, Raj Nation, for this week's conversation. All right, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Startup Hype Man, the podcast. Today on the show, we've got Amanda Greenberg. Amanda is the CEO and co-founder of Ballooner. What's Ballooner? Well, it is a platform based on science and research to address how humans actually share information and make decisions. Using Ballooner, you can accelerate your time to wisdom, de-bias decision-making, and establish, pretty cool, establish an idea meritocracy. Amanda, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's going to be a great conversation. I already know just from when we've gotten to know each other in a previous phone call. Our topic today, which is something we have never discussed on this show before, is how do you land a big angel investor? Can you tell us why this is something that's relevant to you? Yeah, so um, we've received an investment from Jason Calicanis, who um, I would consider the greatest of all time um, angel, uh, very prominent in the valley, and what it does for your company um, in terms of having that halo effect and um, the support of someone like that is really game changing. And for those who are not familiar, can you just uh, give a little background on Jason Calacanis? Yeah, so he's known as the unicorn hunter. So has been first money in or really early money in um, at a number of unicorns. I think I don't want to get this wrong, but six or seven um, different different unicorns. So Thumbtack, Robinhood, etc., Uber. Yeah, awesome. So before we get into all of that, we'll keep people on a little cliffhanger. <laughs> Let's <laughs> dive into who is Amanda Greenberg. So you've got a pretty, I would say, impressive background. You've been educated from places like University of North Carolina and Chapel Hill. You got a bachelor's degree from Dartmouth. Do you consider yourself, here's where I'll start this, do you consider yourself like an Ivy League person or did you sort of like work your way into the Ivy League? That's such an interesting question. Um, So I was born in um, small town, Ohio. So I grew up in Oxford, Ohio. My dad was a professor at Miami University. My mom um, was a teacher and then a guidance counselor at a middle school. Um, But I always uh, knew that I wanted to study and go somewhere else. You know, I was kind of born with some big dreams and a drive and willingness to work really hard to get there. 
um, in high school, I went to like, I went away on the summers to like a boarding school just because I wanted to see where I measured up among mm -hmm. other students. Um, and so I was always kind of looking, uh, beyond and seeing where I would go. And I like really testing myself. So I don't know if I necessarily like consider myself a Ivy league person or whatever that means, but I, um, I know that it was a really instrumental step, um, for me. And I, I kind of had my sight set on that, um, from a really, really young age. I would then, I would peg you just on that description as like the grit needed yeah. to succeed in the Ivy league, but not necessarily like of Ivy league blood or right. of like the East coast sort of, I, you know, no, very Midwest, <laughs> um, <laughs> very Midwest. Um, but had, you know, highly educated parents, which I think helps open, open a lot of doors. Um, but gritty and, um, you know, Midwest warmth. Yeah, I think that that's how you would describe me. I don't know. I bet you that if you asked, you know, 10 people, they would all say something different about me. But yeah. <laughs> the Midwest, it's like, uh, I always say it is, it's, it's like uh, Illinois work ethic, uh, Ohio homeliness, and Minnesota nice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And Wisconsin somewhere in there too. <laughs> There's just something different though, right? So my best friend um, from Dartmouth grew up out here. So she's from San Francisco area. Um, and she is a doctor. And when she was in medical school and she was doing her residency interview, she went to Ohio and she was like, Amanda, everybody is like you here. Like everyone is like <laughs> smiling and nice and all that kind of stuff. So <laughs> we're all similar, I think. So coming out of Dartmouth, you get a master's in environmental health at UNC Chapel Hill. And then, you know, your, your foray into the working world, like, like Ballooner, I know, is like backed by science, but you're not necessarily doing like behavioral science things out of the gate, are you? Like you're working as like an intern at the chemist department, and that was while still at Dartmouth. But um, what, what's your, I guess, where, where does your career first take you as you yeah. go into these sciences? Yeah, so it really was around behavior change. So when I went to get my um, master's of science in public health, um, my work there and my graduate work was all around translating research and science into um, behavior change campaigns, like programs, messaging, brands that resulted in people changing behavior. Uh, most commonly, my work was around like environmental health issues or, um, you know, epidemiology, those kinds of things, behavior change things. Um, and so it was there that I really discovered through my work, you know, I needed to get ideas and feedback and information from distributed groups, teams, teams of experts, et cetera, my clients, my team, all these different um, groups of people. And I couldn't get the information and ideas that I needed. And I tried, you know, everything available to me from surveys, meetings, uh, focus groups, different collaboration tools. And what I found um, was that I started getting like one-off phone calls and emails from people that ended up being essential to us winning a proposal or having a lot of project success or really key campaign or um, scientific insight. And so I asked them, why'd you come to me versus everything I made available? And their answers really shocked me. You know, they were all around. I didn't know if my idea was good enough. I didn't know if this was the right place, all those different things. And because I was a researcher and had that background, I dug into the research and was shocked to find that everything that we use that's core to how companies and businesses operate 
don't actually address how our brains best work in a group setting. And so with that, became really passionate about it um, and left that field and dove into Ballooner. I had planned to become a public health physician um, and really work around uh, behavior change there, but I became so passionate about this and um, knew that that's what I wanted to do with my life. So was there a, I guess like a one program or campaign in particular that sticks out to you that you're like, man, the insights we found were this and it changed how we did it, how how the messaging of the campaign was? Oh, there's so many different examples. I mean, we, um, a lot of it had to do too with like previous experiences of team members or experts. So, you know, it's really hard to know what someone has experience in or knowledge in or where that wisdom is around best practices or improvement or feedback or ideas. And so there's all these different pieces. And oftentimes it's like the combination of multiple people's ideas um, that resulted in, um, you know, change. And yeah, I think there were just numerous, um, numerous pieces, almost, yeah, too many to even like uh, pinpoint, but yeah, tons of different examples. So this experience, as you said, is what led you to dive straight into Ballooner. So yeah. let's do that now in our conversation. Let's okay, dive great. into Ballooner. Um, I, I gave the overview of the platform uh, for additional background information. You're at this point, I would put, I would peg you as the, like the emerging tech company. You're at five employees. You've raised $865,000 to date. And premier or banner clients on your roster include the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, Capital One, Thumbtack, and Google. Obviously, big names that everyone has heard of. So again, I gave sort of like the abstract description of Ballooner. Do you want to just share like, you know, in your own words, what's Ballooner? I mean, the website's probably what's in your own words. Yeah. <laughs> but do you want to expand upon that, anything that I said there about Ballooner? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So I, I shared a little bit about, you know, the, the pain point right here, right, which is like business tools and processes don't address the way our brains work in a group setting. And what they don't account for are louder, more senior voices, dominating conversations, tons of different types of really costly cognitive bias, group dynamics. And then, of course, people hold back their best ideas and their most valuable authentic feedback because of a fear of failure or judgment. And because of this, companies don't get the right data. And this costs companies billions in really bad decision making, stalled innovation, tons of wasted time. So we built Ballooner and Ballooner is an anonymous collaborative platform that helps companies and teams really accelerate times of wisdom and create that idea, feedback, information, meritocracy. It's horizontal, so it's used um, across an organization in a lot of different ways from, um, you know, process improvement, operations, employee experience, inclusion, uh, product and project work. I mean, you name it, there's a use case for Ballooner. Um, and it's also industry agnostic. So uh, works in any organization, any company, and also can be used beyond and outside the walls of a company to engage clients, vendors, partners, organization, community members, et cetera. So let's transition from, we know what Ballooner is now. We've got a really good scope of it. The topic today is on landing a big angel investor. You mentioned Jason Calacanis is yours. Um, his portfolio includes investing in things like Uber. He's known as the unicorn hunter. So I'll ask you this, where do you, where do you think is the best starting point for this conversation? Talk about why Ballooner or why, or, or how did you go about finding, let's, you know, I'll answer my own question. <laughs> <laughs> Talk us through, first off, 
the decision to say this company needs to raise capital because that's because not every company mm -hmm. should or does need to. So what was your decision between you and your co-founder to say, hey, we got to raise money for this? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. And I think too, more and more companies are asking themselves that question um, just in today's landscape. And it's definitely become, I think even since we started Ballooner, more and more acceptable to bootstrap, show grit, get product out there. And that's really what we did at first. Um, I think it's really confirming for VCs when they know that founders can execute with or without resources and that they're going to do whatever it takes to bring their vision um, to the world and make it happen. So I think that that's like the key in terms of that decision point. Um, yeah, I think that we at first, we wanted to do it more in an incremental way. Um, so we, we knew we wanted to get um, people who really gravitated toward what we were doing. Obviously, like we're creating a new category. Um, I don't think that what we're doing is out there, but other people might think it's more out there um, and, and more abstract. And so we wanted to get people who really understood not only us as founders, but really believed in a balloon-filled future. They really understood what we were doing and how game-changing it um, was and is. And yeah, so I think that's how we made the decision. We knew we wanted to scale and grow quickly as well um, after we had proven out um, a number of different things. Now, that's the reason why you wanted to raise money in the first place. Yeah. Tell me... Were you like, okay, well, our best path to this is just find someone who's famous in the investing space and right. then target them and hunt them down and figure out how to talk to them. Is that what happened? Or what, what did you kind of fall into it? Talk us through how you ended up getting a conversation with Jason Calacanis. Yeah, you know, it was a little bit more organic than that. And um, we have a num number of other like high profile angels as well. Um, I'm focusing on Jason because I think that the path is pretty interesting and also like pretty approachable for a lot of people. So um, another female founder um, who we share a mutual investor uh, had recommended attending Founder University um, through one of our networks. And Founder University is a two or three day uh, free uh, program offered by the launch team, which is Jason's team. And um, in that, it's like two to three days of really amazing programming that's all free, um, that's really just around how to grow, how to get customers, how to fundraise, all these different things. And, you know, it's really focused on them, you know, leveling out that playing field and giving access to the inside scope of how to do these things. And um, it is really, really eye-opening. So, um, I attended that and it's interesting because Jason wasn't really on my radar as an angel that we were targeting, but my co-founder Noah, um, you know, really like listened to this week in startups and, um, really was tuned into. And for reference, that's the show that Jason hosts. He hosts a show called this week in startups. Yeah. And he, um, was just tuned into his like experiences and, what he wrote about and thought that there would be alignment, like not only with what we were building, but with us as founders. And so attended this, um, as part of that, there's an opportunity to pitch every morning. Um, and so we were one of the companies that pitched, um, when we pitched, he liked it right away. 
And he has really strong opinions, right? So I think that that's like one of the key things that I want to note is, you know, when you're starting a company, like some people are going to love it. Some people are going to hate it. They're going to think it's nothing. Some people are going to be like so impressed. Some people aren't. It's just like, it's all over the place. And what I always say is like, I really have realized through this process, like how investors miss out on big opportunities because it's almost like feedback whiplash or reaction whiplash. It's fascinating how it's so different. So you just don't really know what you're going to get. Um, and so he really liked it and he really liked me as a founder. Um, and he just gravitated toward it. So from there he moved us forward, um, through kind of this program, which is how he makes his initial investments. Um, and so we had the interview for that a few weeks, well, probably about a month and a half after that um, initial pitch, and then also went the diligence, et cetera. Um, and that was really the beginning point of, of our relationship and having that investment from him. So it started with going to the event he was hosting. And then from there, as part of it, it was, and the event was launch festival. And then from there, as part of the event, there was a, like a, a pitch night, let's say pitch competition of some sort. And yeah. is that like an on stage in front of an audience thing, or that's just in a room one-on-one -on -one with him? It's in a room. So the event was founder university, which is a little bit different. Oh, sorry, founder one. university. Yeah, yeah. So it's different. And the reason that's really like founder university is open to anyone to apply to. So like, so for everyone listening, yeah, <laughs> you can apply exactly. to this. <laughs> exactly. Um, and that's the key. And so it was a room um, at a law firm with the rest of the founders in there. I think there were like 40 to 60. And then, um, you know, those that were pitching went up there, did their two minute pitch. And then um, he gave really candid feedback and he does like sports casting, right? So he'll give immediate feedback on like, when you're answering questions well, when your credibility goes up or down, you know, just all these little insights that, you know, Jason has that are like so important and valuable and like crazy how spot on they are um, and just make you a better and better founder. What was your two minute pitch? I mean, you don't have to, I mean, if you remember it word for word, I'll give you two <laughs> minutes to do it. If you don't, what was, what did you focus on? And then what was his feedback? Yeah, it was interesting. So um, it's not very different from how we pitch it now, except he's, of course, helped us refine it. Um, but it was, I, I made changes to our pitch um, the night before that. Pretty drastic changes. I wanted to present it differently, and I thought, this is a good testing ground. Like, let me just, like, refine it. Um, so so what made, was it before? Can you give us what it was before and then what you changed it to? Yeah, so before it was, it talked about the problem we were solving a little bit differently. It was. Um, had a different flow. Jason, and this is like, we're doing your research. I think that's like something that's really, really important for landing a big angel is do your research. Like most big angels have tons of resources out there around like how they like to be pitched, what they like you to highlight. So Jason likes product, right? He wants to see product right away. He wants to see a demo right away. We didn't lead with the product um, in the first version of the pitch. So I had to figure out how do we put that first um, right up front, how do we highlight the nuances of the product? Because there's a lot of little details in it. And then um, how do we talk about traction right yeah. away? Um, so if he likes product, um, does that mean you were scrapping, starting with a problem and just going straight into here's what our platform is? Yeah. So before we were talking more about the problem than talking about our customers and our traction, and then talking a little bit about the product. I changed it to talk more about high level pro problem, uh, product, 
through the lens of a customer and then traction and where we're going and how big it can be. And that is fundamentally different than most, you know, the way most investors or the way most people react to hearing a pitch, right? Like, and I'm a big, you know, the companies I've worked with over the last couple of years, when I work with them on our investor pitch, we focus so heavily on the problem because I would say 95% or 99% of investors want to know that first before anything else. Yeah. Um, in your case, this was a case of focus on the product, but you still covered the problem it's to some extent and then just spent the majority of the time on product, right? Yeah, product and traction is key. Or product and traction, yeah. Yeah, and I think too, like this is just one of those things where you just really do your research and understand what's going to land as well um, and what doesn't. Like, you know, how to even like land the end of a pitch. Like Jason's really big on this. Like you don't just trail off if you're running over time. Like you really confidently say, like, I'm Amanda, this is Ballooner, you know, this is what we do. Can't wait for your questions. Like you end confidently versus trailing off like these little tips that you learn when you do your research are just so key and i would say they are key to any investor we we've, we've you know landed it's like do your research it like because investors are going to look at you if you haven't done your research and they're going to be like you didn't do like you didn't google right you didn't just like google and like read anything and you're asking for me to give you my money it's just it feels so disproportionately off like it's so off um, that it's a hard hurdle for them to ever overcome. Um, so that's like my number one thing is I'm like, do your research always, always. And when you say like you did research in this case and in, in, in every case, are you like literally like you're typing their name in on Google and just reading like blog posts that he's written and interviews yeah. he's been on and where he talks about how he likes to be pitched? Yeah, exactly. So I just did that research um, you know, again, I was lucky in that Noah, like was really familiar, more familiar than I was with all of these pieces, but I've done that. With founder, yeah. yeah, exactly. And like, even, you know, like we're, we're raising now and I do tons of research before meetings, um, because you just don't know also like where there's going to be an entry point for a shared connection as well. Um, that's really interesting. Like maybe you studied the same thing, like, you know, a long time at school, like maybe you grew up even close to each other. I mean, it's really shocking, like the shared connection that you can find. Maybe you think about something really similarly um, or you experience the same pain point. All those things are such great connecting points for people, especially because if you're like a first time founder and you're coming up in an ecosystem, like it helps to for people to really kind of have shortcuts to getting to know you um, and, and feel more bonded. And that's so much of it. Like people have to really trust you if they're going to invest in you. They have to really think you're principled and um, ethical and all of these things. And so opportunities where you can highlight um, those shared connections and, and how you operate, I think are really powerful. It sounds like really what you're saying is there's a lot of an element of finesse to this. Yeah. All right. It's not just like know your numbers. It's not just know your problem statement. It's like be able to work the room. Do you have good body language? Can you form common ground with them? Those things like that. Yeah. It's like a hundred percent. Like that's, you know, it's about preparation and, and being on it and um, all the details I think matter so much. And, you know, it, I think it's like both an art and a science. I don't think it's one or the other. Um, I think they're both equally important in the process. So you gave that initial two-minute pitch. What, if you recall, what were the questions you got and how did you answer those? 
Yeah. So, I mean, right after I pitched, he said, I want to move you forward. Um, nice. I'm really, yeah. So it was like already like good, right. It was already a positive thing. So I was, you know, feeling good. And then, um, the questions were around, like, I'm trying to think, I'm trying to remember all of them, but around like use case around usage around questions about like anonymity, the positive and the negative side of that. And then interestingly, he asked the room, like, who would have wanted this product in their company or who would want this product? And like everyone raised their hand. Right. And so huh. he mentioned, so like, he immediately yeah. crowdsourced like the viability. Exactly. Yeah. And he, and then he like mentioned, he was like, yeah, I think there's like something really going on here um, is, is what he mentioned. So yeah, it was just, it was good energy um, right away. You mentioned in that, that brief two-minute pitch, you focused more on product and traction. What stage were you at as a company and what traction were you able to highlight that gets them to say, hey, this is worth looking more at? Yeah. So, I mean, we, we obviously had uh, really good revenue. Um, we were landing and expanding customers, which is key. And so really seeing kind of that growth potential. Um, we had raised capital before um, and we had a really strong founding team. So... Mm-hmm. I think those pieces as well, I was able to highlight. Um, yeah. So, I mean, he really looks for, there's like a Goldilocks zone is what he always, he always calls it. But, um, you know, like product in market, you know, revenue of a certain range and, you know, uh, executing really high executing level. Um, and so I had done that research as well. So I made sure to kind of highlight where we were um, in that way. And, one of the things that like I've noticed and it's something that Jason comments on a lot is, you know, when people ask a question, like you give the answer right away, you don't like give all these reasons why it's not where you want it to be. Um, and your credibility just goes up. And so I thought about that a lot when I was answering the question. So, you know, when it's like, I don't remember one of the questions or, or what it was, but you know, I just remember I answered it right away with a number and then it was like, here's what we're doing to um, make that even better. Um, just those little tips, I think were really, really helpful. Yeah. So can you talk through a couple of those, like how you would, you know, a, a sample question a founder could get and then how you would, you know, with, what's the standard response and what's the finessed out response? Yeah. Yeah. I probably won't do it that great. I mean, I'm always, <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I can think of an example where it's like, you know, if someone, if an investor asks like how many um, companies, how many customers do you have? Right. If a founder is like self-conscious or like, nervous that they have too few customers, they might like first give a million reasons why, oh, we just started. We're just getting going with this. We haven't done growth. We haven't done distribution. So we're like around this, but it's going to get a lot better versus being like, we have five, we have 10. And this is why we're excited about that number. And this is where it's going. Um, Just having that like concrete answer just helps so much with credibility. And Um, that's something I really learned, um, through Jason, through that program and it makes a huge difference. And now when I watch other founders pitch, um, I think so much about that and how much it raises credibility, even through my eyes, right. Or when you're getting sold anything, how much that raises credibility when people just answer so directly and then explain further, um, after they get that direct response. So give the exact, give the answer that they want and then explain it. Don't let it exactly. sit, explain it and explain it with confidence. Yeah. And maybe don't even explain it. Just be like, we have five customers and then let them answer other questions. Don't like infuse it with your like 
you know, being not having confidence or being hyper aware that it's not where you want it, right? Like really strong investors, they've all been founders, they all know where you're at, they see all the good and the bad. Um, so it's all normalized. So just give the answer and don't give it through the lens that's going to bias, right? Their their opinion about it. Um, Do you but, see? So, you know, one thing. I've come to learn a lot about and with the women founders I've worked with, I've helped them figure this out is like, there's the whole, you know, the big news of the last two years is like the investor bias against women and even minority groups as well. And where that, you know, there was that Harvard business review article where it said there's promotion questions and prevention yeah. questions. Yeah. And a oh, promotion God. question would be like, how do you grow this? But a prevention question would be how many customers do you have? So, I, I'm just a little bit surprised at your response there to say like maybe just say the number and, and that's it because yeah. when I hear that what I'm thinking back to is that HBR article that's like well if you okay. get a prevention question like how many customers do you have and you answer it with a prevention response by just answering it you're shortchanging yourself so can I you help me reconcile true. that yeah no I think that's true I guess I wouldn't um, it's just all through the lens of I wouldn't see that necessarily as like a prevention question. If there's good camaraderie with that investor, like they're really just trying to understand where you're at. But I think that varies so much. Like um, there, it's it's totally true, right? I mean, it's research backed and everything, right? The, the different questions you get and how investors respond to you and and all these different pieces, right? It's it's completely um, all there and present. So I think it's like really assessing. Um, what that conversation is and where that falls in the conversation. So if they immediately kind of go in that direction, then I, you know, I would always try to kind of make it more toward that promotion, that vision, that opportunity space. But if it's like really quick answering questions because they want to know and they need to know, um, then I would kind of give them the benefit of the doubt in some ways. So um, it comes back to read the room. Yeah, exactly. I think it really depends. And I think so much is like, you know, you know when it's going well and you know when it's not going well and it has to go so well to get an investment from someone. There's, I, I really don't think that you get investment from like a middle response. You know, it's like it needs, everything kind of needs to be right to yeah. get that investment. Last question here before we wrap up. Um, so you obviously went through this specific process to land Jason as your uh, investor, as one of your investors. Now, do you recommend for others? Like literally his, his LinkedIn profile says, my email is jason at calicanis.com. Do, <laughs> yeah. do you recommend someone cold emails, someone yeah. like him or someone like him out of the blue or is that a bad strategy? Um, I think he's unique in this way. So I would recommend cold emailing him. Um, I think he responds to almost all of his emails. I know he reads all of them. Um, he talks about that a lot. Um, and that would be like one of those things I think to research, like for that pathway, <laughs> <your> right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, just like do your homework. What you think makes the most sense there is probably right. Um, I think a lot of angels are actually like that, especially like, um, like really aware angels know that they could like miss out on something. So they're always looking, they don't make assumptions. Um, the other angels that we have, um, you know, who have invested in us. It's similar. Like some of them were more warm intros, but some of them, like I just kind of met or um, they gravitated toward what we were doing. So I don't think there's like a direct clear path, but they're always, if they're the right angel, they're the right investor. They're going to respect your hustle. They're going to respect your grit. I say like be persistent, but not annoying. Um, all of those kinds of things. Yeah. Now, 
I'm not going to ask you for where we can find you and your contact information because I'll tell everyone know in a second why. Okay. There might be more later, hint, hint. So uh, the way we wrap up every episode, though, is by giving our sort of our final takeaway answer to today's topic question. So I'll go first. Our topic today was how do you land a big angel or a popular angel investor? Uh, from everything you explained, I think step one is figure out a way to get yourself in the same quote unquote room as them. And I'm doing air quotes here because room could be virtual or yeah. it could be physical. Uh, how do you get yourself? somewhere in their proximity and then mm -hmm. definitely do your homework to present to them in a way that they like to receive information. Yeah. Amanda, how do you land a big angel? Biggest piece of advice you can give other founders. I mean, exactly those two things. So do your homework, do your research, um, really know who's out there, who might gravitate toward what you are building and don't get discouraged. Like no matter what, don't get discouraged. You know, there's always going to be people who like what you're building. There's going to be people who don't like what you're building, but you just have to keep going. I think that's the key. Uh, the reason why I did not ask Amanda to share where we can learn more about her, where we can find her online, et cetera, is because Amanda has the honor of being the first ever guest on this show in Yay. four years of being on air or on stream, whatever you want to call it, of being a two-time guest. And what I mean by that is we've had guests come on twice before with like a year apart. We've also done two-part episodes before, but this is going to be the first time that we have one guest on back-to-back -back weeks talking about two different topics. So tune in next week when Amanda comes back onto the show to talk about how to create a category for your company, which is what Ballooner has had to do in order to get their customers on board that's going to be a fascinating conversation. So tune in next week to hear all about that as well as actually get Amanda's uh, contact information. So Amanda, I'll see you next week, but thank you for joining us on the show, at least so far. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Really enjoyed it. That brings us to a close. Did you like what you heard? Did it tingle your earbuds? Support your startup ecosystem and share this episode with another founder to help them. If you don't have anyone in mind, then leave a rating and review of the show on iTunes so more entrepreneurs can learn about it. And if you want more, head to StartupHypeMan.com and click on the knowledge section to get a bonus blog post written by this week's guest where they unpack the topic even more. Remember to subscribe to the show on iTunes or Spotify or Google Play or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Startup Hype Man is more than a podcast. In fact, we support startups across the United States and globally develop sales and marketing acumen with messaging that stands out to customers and stands apart from competitors. Learn more and fill out a form at StartupHypeMan.com if you want to chat. Shout out to this week's guests for spending their time with us and shout out to music artist Sir the Baptist for providing our show's theme song. Catch you next time. Hype Man out. Word up. Raise up. Got you howling at the moon. Yeah. This is dance with the devil, bro. Instead of sundown too. Yeah. This is dance with the devil, bro. Tell me what you're gonna do. Oh, this a dance with the devil, bro. And if you can't get a loose, then they fall into the truth. It got you howling at the moon. Yeah. This a dance with the devil, bro. Instead of sundown this a dance with the devil, bro. Tell me what you're gonna do. No, this a dance with the devil, bro. And if you can't get a loose, then it's, it's a dance with the devil.